Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon, Paula. Hello, Mr. Roberts. How are things going today? They're going very well. I would say so as well. It's a beautiful day here in Kentucky. and going to have to start putting sunscreen on. We put the sunscreen on baby girl today. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about her because, you know, when she grows up, she might go into these archives and listen. If you're listening to this, Eliane, later in life, you are the sweetest little thing and you have learned how to walk and you have walked independently from your mom to your dad or when Bethany was here Monday, you walked independently. But she just, (laughs) she refuses to walk now unless she's holding on to somebody's finger and it has to be her right hand yeah even if if she's not putting any pressure on the finger it's just her security blanket to where she feels confident enough taking step after step and she's a smart little thing i've tried taking a wooden spoon and have her hold that to clutch onto she refuses she knows the difference you tried a glove today. Today, Kelly Powers left her glove over here last weekend. <laughs> so I pulled that out and put it on such that my finger wasn't in it so that I could just let her walk independently. She immediately noticed it wasn't my finger, so she wasn't having it. She just sits down. We're so glad that spring is here. We are, and we don't care. It's fine, Ellie for you to hold Grandma's hand as long as you want to. <laughs> So, but on another note, it was 46 degrees and overcast when I did my final longish run leading my marathon next weekend. Yeah, your big races next weekend. Big races next weekend. Pretty excited about that. Kelly and I both felt a little sluggish this morning when we first started, but once we got to our intensity work, we're both able to do it and just happy to have that in the rearview mirror and in the books? Yeah. The hay is in the barn. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. All the hard work is done. It's just a matter of getting to the starting line healthy now. That's right. So you and I are pretty competitive. <laughs> we enjoy racing against the clock. We enjoy racing against other people. You may like training more than racing, but definitely you also like playing skip mode. I used to like playing skip mode. I think we've established that I used to like playing skip mode. Well, I don't know how someone gets better at playing skip mode. <laughs> but you used to win all the time. And I've been on a streak here lately. So since we've been keeping tally marks most recently, I think the score is 8-5 to five in my favor right now. Yeah, I think I got my fifth tally mark. I had a victory last night, right? You did. So it's all about skill. It doesn't have anything to do with the order the cards fall in or how many skip bows you have. It's all about skill. So I'm getting better as we play. I think your nose is growing as we're sitting here. <laughs> well, let's move on to the topic of our podcast. All right. So this is going to be an extremely selfish topic on my part. 
since I do have a marathon coming up next Saturday, but I would love to talk about, because I think it not only is helpful for me, but to all endurance athletes, is can we discuss the dreaded taper? Why would you call it dreaded? I always look forward to the taper. After a long training block, it's time to get down to business and test the fitness, whether that's in a race or a time trial. Like I said, the hay's in the barn. The hay is in the barn. And the crazy can get in the head. <laughs> yes, it can. But on a serious note, we've been asked on several occasions about how to taper. When should the taper start? Should it be always like race day minus X days? Is the taper the same thing as a rest? What is the purpose of the taper? How long is too long? How little is too little? How do I handle the decrease in daily caloric burn? Because you don't want to gain weight. Definitely don't want to gain weight. Anyway, all of these are good questions, but really, unfortunately, there's not a one-size-fits-all answer. Much of it depends on the length of the training cycle, the intensity of the training cycle, and a variety of factors. Just as training cycles have to be customized for individual athletes, so does the taper. That's right. And the taper should be customized based on your goals as well. Yep. So let's just try to unpack it in general terms and then perhaps we can discuss specifically what my taper looks like and why. So I guess a good place to start would be to explain how we as both coaches and athletes perceive and define what a taper is like in our own heads. For us it's just that final cutback period prior to racing. So if I have done a quality training block either my coach or myself if I'm self-coached has already included build periods and cutback periods the build periods could vary a build period could be two weeks three weeks four weeks four and a half weeks it really just depends on how the athlete is responding to the build and to the training load this varies with each athlete and how they are adapting and handling each build phase. So let's just say we have an athlete who is 16 weeks away from an endurance race, maybe from a marathon, a half distance, or full distance triathlon. So let's say we've started the 16-week block. Toward the end of the third week, we notice that the hard data from the watch, heart rate, pace, those types of things, show that the athlete is fatigue. Maybe their heart rate is higher and that's resulting in lower paces, something like that. Let's say on top of the hard data, the anecdotal data that the athletes are giving us through their comments support that they are feeling fatigued. So this is a good sign that it's time to do a recovery clock in this training cycle. Yes, so the body can absorb the training. Exactly. Yeah, because some athletes don't do this recovery period, and what happens is they just end up plateauing. But that's kind of a topic for another podcast, why to properly periodize. So let's just say for this specific athlete in this 16-week block, first three weeks, they're building. Toward the end of that three weeks, they're showing sign of fatigue. So week four, maybe we'll plan an entire cutback. It's not a rest week, but we're decreasing the overall volume of training. Some of that volume is going to be 
decrease through the easy runs. Some of it's going to be decreased through the amount of intensity. Yes, but there's still going to be some hard efforts, but the total volume will be less. Exactly. So now maybe the next block, the athlete at the end of two weeks is already showing signs of fatigue. Maybe they're experiencing stress through other areas. For example, work or family life or maybe they're just not sleeping well, not eating right. Now, after two weeks, they're ready for another bit of a cut back, rest, absorb, get ready to put the body back to work. Then maybe there's another eight, nine weeks, eight, nine, ten, eleven. They do a nice four-week build and handle it well. Week 12, a cut back, build another two weeks. Even maybe even depending on the race and low, they, we may continue building well into week 15 and then start cutting back and then continue that final cut back into week 16 leading up to the race. So for this particular athlete, based on the scenario described above, then the last half of the 15th and then all of the 16th week where they're cutting back to absorb fitness for that last time would be considered the taper. In this particular case, the athlete unloaded and recovered throughout the 16-week training block. The end result is the taper just feels like it fits the rhythm of what the entire training block has prepared the athlete to do. The taper is just another time, the final time before the race, that the athlete takes the time to allow the body to soak up fitness from all that hard training. Yes, the taper is just another cutback. And during the taper, there's still a mixture of workout types, but the overall training is decreased. We use training peaks with our athletes, and we schedule the training stress score, or TSS, week over week. This is a measure that takes into consideration the activity type, the time, and the intensity compared to your capabilities. We periodically adjust the threshold paces for swim, bike, and run as an athlete's fitness changes. Tracking TSS is a great tool, but athletes' comments are a necessary part of knowing when to cut back and when to keep building. Exactly. And I think where most athletes get in trouble with the taper is that training without proper periodization, they've been going and pushing and driving hard for 13 weeks straight. The body is just used to going, 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 and it's to the point of exhaustion. So now it's going to take a good two and a half to three weeks to unload all that stress and try to begin absorbing all of the fitness gains. Not only is the taper going to need to be longer because the hole has been shoveled so deeply, but also the athlete has literally been hammering away at workouts for 13 straight weeks. He or she has lost concept of what to do with all of a sudden extra time. You see this all the time in your social media groups. At least I do. You'll see an athlete post that they're just driving themselves insane, not knowing what to do during the dreaded taper. So proper periodization in the training cycle is a topic for another day. However, if done correctly, it will make the taper much more seamless. So you remember a few podcasts ago, you asked me about the Moly Mile. So we're going to have a history lesson in this podcast as well. Oh boy. So the the taper is not something that has always been practiced, especially not in running. It actually became common practice in swimming first sometime in the 50s. The term can be traced back to an Australian swim coach, 
Forbes Carlisle, who documented that his athletes raced better if training was lightened or even halted prior to a race. A Czech runner, Emil Zatopek, accidentally stumbled upon the benefits of lightening his running load before his 10K in the 1950s at the European Games. He became ill and hospitalized for two weeks before his race and was released just two days prior to the race. He raced and he won. He continued to utilize a taper, minus the illness and hospitalization, and also became a three-time gold medalist in the Olympics. After a few such anecdotal cases, such as Carlisle and Zetopek, the taper became the countless subject of scientific research. There are so many variables in these studies, but a few common conclusions have been drawn and mostly agreed upon. Yeah, so... One of those conclusions is that a higher volume of training requires a longer taper. If you have two athletes training for the same race, the tapers may need to be very different. If the athlete is peaking volume at 10 hours per week, and then there's another athlete that's peaking volume at 20 hours per week, that 20-hour-per-week athlete is going to need a more drastic taper. Another thing that the research shows is that intensity needs to be maintained during a taper period. Taper does not mean, unfortunately for me because it sounds really good at this point, it does not mean training to couch potato. Consider an athlete whose peak volume in a week was 360 minutes. The taper may reduce that volume to 180 minutes leading up to that race, but Maybe 60% of that reduction will come from easy distance, and the other 40% of that reduction will come from the high-intensity training efforts. Many athletes cut out all high-intensity training, and the end result is they show up flat on race day. As a general rule, I like for my last high-intensity workout to be three days before the race, and then the two days leading up to the race, I like to do some sort of shake out or warm up work. How much intensity? Well, that really depends on what the athlete's training cycle look like. And it should be a scaled back version of that. For example, a newer athlete may go through an entire marathon training cycle without incorporating much, if any, speed work at all. They may just be working on their endurance and their base. So obviously this athlete would not start throwing in intensity in the taper. So really, I guess the summary of it is the taper should be just kind of a microcosm of what the training cycle looks like. Yeah, even leading up to the day before the race, we often prescribe to athletes, and and this will be in your plan, that you'll do a really short run the day before with uh, just a few minutes at your goal pace just to wake up the legs. You mentioned the dreaded taper a few times. I know another reason why it may be called that. Oftentimes when an athlete completes a long training block and they cut back for their taper, they develop strange aches and pains. How about you? We started cutting your volume this week and we'll decrease it more next week. Are you having any phantom pains now? Phantom pains? What the world? Okay, I have to give a shout out to Colin Dosimo, my great nephew, for what the world? Because... He's, I used to keep him some when he was in preschool, and he would always look at me and go, What in the world, Paula? <laughs> I think he got it from his cousins, Hannah and Rebecca. Really? 
That's where I first heard it. Really? That's funny. Anyway, <laughs> so I digress. During the final cutback, it's really not uncommon to feel an ache or pain here or there, as you mentioned. As your frame and your muscles are recovering and preparing to raise, sometimes that manifests in unexpected discomfort. Trust me, I'm no doctor, but I do have some personal experience with this. I may go through a training cycle pretty much pain-free, and as soon as I begin tapering, it's not uncommon for my right ankle to throb. In fact, I woke up this morning with a bit of discomfort in my right ankle. I know, you're looking at me. I didn't tell you. I didn't see that in your comments. I did not even comment on it. So, surprise, coach. Anyway, I knew based on my workload this week, I hadn't done anything to injure it. So, I did my pre-run routine, and then I walked. And by the time I met Kelly and started my workout this morning... It was perfectly fine. I will say, though, had the pain not subsided, or worse yet, if it had increased while running, I'm smart enough now to call it a day and trust my previous training and live to run another day. And for those of you who struggle with when to run through pain and when not, you can refer back to podcast 19. You gotta know when to hold them and know when to fold them. My theory is that as my body is recovering, my blood flow to the ankle area increases and extra repair is taking place. Now, that's a positive spin on an injury or it is. pain. That's very positive. Let's say. Anyway, I'll have to say this is just a Paula Roberts theory. So maybe when Dr. Scott Black comes back on the show, we can ask him about that one. Yeah, that's a great idea. It, it was a lot of fun interviewing Scott in our last podcast. The Zoom audio recording wasn't the best, but hopefully our listeners were able to capture the main points on hydration and nutrition. But getting back to your ankle pain, you're totally right. If you're in your final stages of your training block leading up to your big race, and you develop some kind of pain, try not to stress. Miss a few days if you have to. You've banked a lot of fitness. You want to be at the starting line healthy, not limping on an ankle because you pressed through. I'm glad your ankle pain subsided. Me too. Thank you. Small things you can't control. You just kind of have to roll with what unfolds. Yes. Another thing that I want to address a little bit is nutrition during the taper. You like talking about nutrition, don't you? Perhaps, yes, I do. You've got a lot of knowledge around nutrition. I enjoy the I enjoy the topic, and it's been it's just been important in my transformation as an athlete. Anyway, as we already discussed, the taper is a whole lot more than just resting your body. Yes, the body must rest in order to be primed for race day, but some amount of workload continues. However, the volume of calories that are being burned greatly diminishes. Unfortunately, especially for me, I don't know if this is the case for you, but the desire to consume calories and the appetite often do not decrease. And it actually may even increase with more time on your hands, especially if you're one to eat out of boredom or stress eaters really have difficulty during the taper. But it's important not to spend the extra minutes you aren't swimming, biking, or running in the kitchen. (laughs) Unless I guess it's for food prep and food planning, that would be okay. The last thing I want to do in this final week is stick on five or six extra pounds to have to 
cart around for 26.2 miles this coming weekend. Referring back to our interview with Scott last week, he said, and, and we agree, that investing in a coach will buy you more speed than tricking out your bike. The same is true about weight. It is much more effective to be disciplined and get your body weight where it needs to be rather than spending money on shaving ounces off your bike. It's not easy to be disciplined with eating and nutrition when you're tapering, but keep in mind how you got where you are and how important your goals are. Yeah, that's so true. I know we've mentioned this in a previous podcast, but I track my calories in and out daily on the free version of the MyFitnessPal app. If I'm feeling extra hungry, even though I'm on pace to eat the right amount of calories and the correct macros for the day, that triggers in my mind to drink more water. And usually that takes care of it. If I do gain a pound or two during the taper, I'm not going to obsess over it. It's likely water gain. And I look at it as if the pump is primed and ready to race. Anyway, with the lighter workload from the taper, I do have to make a concentrated effort to eat less. Again, this is easier to wrap your head around if your training cycle already includes cut back and recovery weeks, as you also burn fewer calories during those weeks throughout the entire training cycle. So you get used to consuming calories that make sense according to the calories you're burning. It's really directly proportional. The more you train, the more calories you need. The less you train, the fewer calories you need. When you're trying to maintain a consistent weight. Exactly. And for me, I track calories daily. If I bike three hours today and I swim 2,000 yards tomorrow, obviously I'm burning more calories, therefore consuming more nutrition on the three-hour bike day. So I try to eat the right foods and the right quantities. So I will add this as a general rule, and this is a more recent rule for me. When I'm within three weeks of a race, I don't step on the scales anymore. It's only going to add stress. Exactly. I try to continue eating the right foods and the right quantities, and I don't want the natural ups and downs of my weight getting in my head and affecting my attitude on race day. You've learned a lot over the years, particularly since you became an endurance athlete on proper weight management, and you don't stress over it like you used to. And you've certainly got a good handle on it. (laughs) That just reminds me. I was thumbing through pictures and I found a picture of myself um, hugging my sweet grandmother. And it looked like two of my present me. And I was was laughing at it. I looked at you and I showed it to you. And what'd you say? Beautiful now, beautiful then. (laughs) Love is clearly blind. (laughs) More to love. I will say you have never, ever put pressure on me as far as my weight. Like, these are things that I've done solely for myself. I'll have to say that. So The other thing about nutrition, other than the quantity of food, there are many books written and many theories about what to eat during the taper. My personal thought on this is that if you are eating the right foods and fueling your body with race goals in mind throughout training, rather than mindlessly feasting on empty calories throughout the training cycle, then just keep eating what got you to this point healthy. Yeah, I remember as a younger runner, 
reading about and hearing about carb loading before a big race. Beer and pizza the night before a big race used to be the thing for adult athletes. We've never been one to drink beer, but I used to consume a lot of pizza. We do not encourage this, and it doesn't seem to be as popular as it once was. Like you're saying, we try to stick with what we have been eating throughout our training block. And there are athletes who mix up the diet substantially during the two weeks leading up to the race. But if you're going to do this, you need to test it on a race that isn't your A race or test it on a long simulation or training run. For our male athletes, we suggest much of Matt Fitzgerald's research as related to fueling during training, taper, pre-race, and race fueling. For our female athletes, we also incorporate some of Dr. Stacy Sims' research. I really don't want to propose any blanket statements as to what to eat, as I believe it's very specific and different for each individual, but I will kind of go through a little bit of what works for me. So here are my go-to meals prior to a race. Again, these are foods that my body is accustomed to consuming, so I'm not at all shocking my system. So I really start tracking two nights before, so my race is on a Saturday this time, and I've already practiced this through a cycle a couple of Saturdays ago. But on Thursday night, I'll have a lean grass-fed sirloin and a baked potato, and I usually throw in some marinara pasta. Have any idea what kind of pasta that might be? We love our Rayos. R A O S. And no, they do not sponsor us or pay us. And I think the more we mention this on our podcast, the less this product exists on the grocery store shelves. We've been sold out a lot at the Kroger and the Meyer here lately. <laughs> Maybe they should pay me for the free shout outs. They should. Yeah. Or just free rails. That would work. I like that. So anyway, that's two nights before. So that would be this week. That would be Thursday night. The day before the race, so Friday, I'll have my cup of 0% Fage Greek yogurt with a banana and cinnamon mixed in. For a snack, sometime in the day, I'll have a brownie crunch think bar. And then for lunch... And I go back and forth on this, but I'll either have a turkey wrap or a grilled chicken wrap that'll be pretty light in vegetables just because I don't like to consume much roughage the day before a race for reasons I won't get into. Let's not. And then I do also add avocado to that wrap and it's yummy. Healthy fats. And then... I also have another snack during the day, and it's the homemade banana carrot bread that we've mentioned before that we fight over who gets to eat the last loaf because it's just so good. And who gets to clean the pans afterwards. Well, I think we fixed that problem. Yeah. Yeah. So we ordered some new liners and pans. Don't get dirty. Life is good. (laughs) For you, I still make it. (laughs) I don't mind making it at all. It's delicious. Yeah. And for dinner... I'll have, like, the most bland, plain grilled chicken, and I'll cook it myself. Even if I'm out of town, I'll take it with me, either pre-cooked or raw and cook it myself, depending on where we're staying and what the accommodations are like. And then I'll either have a baked potato or brown rice, and, of course, I'll throw in some Rayos marinara sauce to add a little bit of protein and carbs and taste because it's delicious. Yeah. And then the day of the race, for my breakfast, it's the same breakfast 
I have every day the Fage banana and cinnamon. But I do try to finish at least an hour and a half to two hours before the race start. So I have to almost have to refer back to my race plan, but the race start is... 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock. Or 8.15. 8, 8, 8.10. The 5K and 10K start at 8. But it's still unclear on the website how they're going to do a staggered start to encourage social distancing. So we're still working on that start time. Yeah. So I'll finish up that breakfast by about 6.30. So we always encourage athletes to make a race plan. But on race day, it'll be a miracle if everything goes as planned. But you do as much as you can to avoid those surprises. And when there is a surprise, like maybe the start time's different than what we expect, you adjust. You don't stress and you move on. But I was going to comment that, you know, going through your list of foods, that's pretty much what you eat every day. (laughs) I mean, you, you don't eat steak every other night, but we eat a lot of chicken. You eat a lot of yogurt, we eat a lot of avocados, we have our fair share of Rayos, but we've just gotten into a, a routine of healthy foods that we enjoy, and I feel like nutrition is a lot like training, in that there's a purpose for it. It's not about pleasure, necessarily. It's about accomplishing a goal, and that's fueling your body. But I do like eating them. You and I don't really thrive on variety. And you in particular really like a routine and a pattern. I am definitely a patterned person. Just like you, my pre-race food isn't much different than what I eat all the time. The one thing that I do differently leading up to a big race is I shift from drinking mostly water to drinking mostly a sport drink the day before in the morning of a race. For me, this works great. It's topping off the tank. But like you were saying, everyone's needs are different. And everyone's stomach is different. We emphasize developing your nutrition plan early in a training block and testing it throughout so that as you approach race day, you have confidence in your fueling. Yeah, and I think at some point, too, it might be a good podcast topic to talk about actual fueling during the race because that's a whole other topic outside of taper. But it's There's so a lot of confusion. And it's so important. So shifting away from nutrition, let's talk about whether we should taper for every race. As we've discussed earlier, tapering should be a part of the normal periodization of a training block. But for big races, your A race, you want to be sure you're at the peak of fitness and freshness. But what about all the other races throughout the year that you want to do for fun or just to see where your fitness is at? For those races, we recommend incorporating them into the training plan as one of your workout days. If you have a canned training plan, It may be hard to figure out how to address these B races throughout the year, but with customized coaching, we can adjust the build and cutback weeks to align with these race workouts without losing sight of the big goal, the A race, later on. These B races are great for gauging your fitness and testing your race plan. If you don't have B races planned, it's a great idea to incorporate simulation workouts so you can test your plan, but you don't need to cut back like you will when you're tapering for your A race. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because we recently onboarded a new triathlete who specifically mentioned not wanting to do intermediate races between now and his A race simply because he was thinking in terms of have to taper for each of those races and we'll lose training. I think it's going to be a win-win because I think we'll be able to incorporate some of those intermediate races in as part of his training. 
would he do better in those races if he were fully tapered? Probably. But I think athletes can, especially athletes who thrive on competition and love race day, it's great to be able to throw in some intermediate races and just have it seamlessly, like you said, into the normal periodization cycle. Especially in triathlon, there's so much that goes on in a triathlon that it's really a good idea to do a a full simulation, not full distance, but swim, bike, run with T1, T2, testing your plan. I'm just referring back to the Challenge Miami triathlon that was not too long ago and just some of the mistakes that the professional athletes made, it just happens. So the more that you race, the more you fine-tune your plans, the more likelihood that you're going to be able to seamlessly execute your plan on race day. Yeah, and I think specifically in that race, we saw more professional errors because there has been less opportunities for them to race in the midst of the current global situation. It really made the race interesting. And you can find that out on YouTube if you're interested in watching that. But sometimes these B races are all out. Sometimes they're less than all out. When a B race or a simulation is all out, it allows you and and your coaches to establish a new baseline of fitness. And then coaches can take that data from those efforts and reset the athlete's threshold paces and training peaks. This can adjust pacing and total volume for the remainder of the training block. Right. And I can remember... Speaking of some races are all out and some aren't, I can remember early in my Ironman Louisville training, you actually had me register for Tri-Louisville, and it was an Olympic distance, but after two miles of the run, you pulled me out of the race. You didn't do it during the race, but you told me in advance, you're going to do the swim, the transition one, you're going to do the bike, you're going to do the transition two, and then after two miles in the run, that's we're going to end your day because I had been having some injuries that were aggravated by running at that point. You wanted me to get the experience of the transitions and some different things in Louisville because all that's down there on the riverfront, which is where Ironman Louisville was. And so that's just an example, probably a tangent, but it was not an all out effort. It was more of training to do a try. I really didn't want to pull out that two-mile mark once I got into it, though, but I did. I did. So another tangent related to that, I told you to drop out after two miles, and I'm spectator for the day. I'm cheering you on when you get out of the water. I'm cheering you on on the bike. I cheered you on when you left T2 on your run. Somehow or other, I lost you on the course, and I don't know how long it took for us to reconnect. But I knew you were going to be walking back from wherever the two-mile mark was. Somehow we just missed each other. It took forever to find you. But you were very agreeable to following my recommendation. And it's not easy to pull out of the race, but you had bigger goals in mind to complete your first Ironman. So, yeah, so we changed it. We found each other. (laughs) So, talking about B races, we often schedule these intermediate races or simulations into an athlete's plan so they can see their progress, but we don't do a full taper like we will for an A race. Yeah, I didn't do any taper going into that race. It was simply a training day. Yeah. Yeah. You were doing really well in the race, but did the right thing by pulling out. I was well coached. (laughs) 
During an athlete's cutback weeks and tapering, they have extra time on their hands. The training volume is less, meaning the total training time is less also. You're in your taper. What are you going to do with your extra time this week? I may take a tangent on this, but remember that day we were driving to Rough River and you said, I wonder how many driveways there are between Owensboro and Rough River. (laughs) Remember that day? I do. And then like the whole way in my head, I was counting driveways. (laughs) You're known as a counter. I'm very type A, so I have to be very careful about making lists of things that I want to do in my extra time. I mean, I'm one of those people, I've probably mentioned this before, I don't know if I have or not, but I absolutely despise daylight saving time. I mean, let's be honest, is it saving any daylight? It's just moving it. It's shifting it. It's stealing daylight from morning and sticking it in the evening when I'm ready to go to bed. (laughs) Anyway, I just mentioned that because on the flip side of that, do you know anybody in the world that gets more joy out of a weekend that, that falls backwards? We've been in Central Daylight Time, and we're going back to Central Standard Time. So not only does that add daylight back to the morning, but it also adds an extra hour to that weekend. It's awesome. It is awesome, except for you know me. I have so much joy. Like, I plan the day as if I have an extra day, like, I try to do all the things. And you only have an extra hour. And it's like that extra hour is a full extra day. Anyway, all of that all of that is to say this. I plan all the things. I usually drop into bed exhausted. But all that is to say this. My plan is to not plan my extra time this week. Because if I try to plan it, I'm going to be mowing the yard and weeding the flower beds and you name it. I'm going to be up on top of the ceiling fans dusting and I mean I can think of ways to fill up that time that are just gonna I might as well be out running (laughs) so why are you shaking your head at me (laughs) you're something special oh my goodness I'm special (laughs) so there are some things I do hope to do I hope to spend more time in prayer I hope to spend more time in my bible I want to use some of the extra time to actually go through my race plan. I always dread it when you email me and say, hey, have you done your race plan? You do that four or five weeks before and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do my race plan. I don't know why that would be so stressful because your previous race went really well. So <laughs> how much did you have to change for this yeah, race? It, the first one was stressful. This one was easy because I could just pull up everything and you even actually took my race plan and put it in our new RYR Endurance Team race plan template. So you even did that for me. All I had to do was change the details to match this race instead of my previous race. So that was awesome. I I do what I can. Yeah. Anyway, part of what's in my race plan is a list of everything I need to pack, which doesn't change much from race to race either. And this is a goal. I would really like to get more sleep. But here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to stress over the race and the result of the race. I want to trust the process. I want to trust the training. And I want to be thankful for how the day unfolds. As I mentioned earlier, I'm not going to monitor my weight, but I'm going to continue to be diligent with my nutrition. Finally, I am not going to monitor the weather. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Leading up to Ironman Louisville, I was daily sent with a 10-day forecast. 
was going to look like. Guess what? We were heat training because of all that. I thought it was going to, I was going to roast in Louisville. That forecast was wrong. I won't get into it, but it was wrong. So I don't want the weather forecast to get in my head. I can't control it. I can't do anything about it. I'm going to pack several different options for what I'm going to run in on race day. I'm going to take it with me. And then that night, I'm going to look and see what I need to pin my bib to. Because usually the night before, the forecast is pretty accurate. Ten days out, at least not in the area of the country we live in, and not the area where we're going to race, that forecast is just not predictable. Yeah. As long as you're packing a a variety of gear to prepare you for any circumstance. But going back to your Ironman Lowell, that was just a crazy day with weather. You had gusting wind blowing branches across the street while you were on your bike. Fences, barrels. And then you had those large drops of rain. It was uh, just an exciting, adventurous day in Lowell. Ocean waves in the Ohio River. So another thought related to what to do with extra time. If you have family or friends who want to cheer you on at race day, maybe they're not into the sport as much as you, and they may not know where to cheer or how to support you. One thing that you and I have done in the past is build a fan plan. (laughs) And if Ironman Louisville was still around, I think we could sell your fan plan. It was fabulous. It was fabulous. I mean, we we had all the spots. We typically do that, you and I, for each other leading up to the big races. But for athletes whose significant other or friends aren't endurance athletes, they may not know where to start to support you. As the person most familiar with your upcoming race, you could use your extra taper time to develop a fan plan. This would include times and locations and maybe even directions your fans could follow to find you on the course. In our Ironman events, We even nailed it down to have GPS locations saved on our phones, labeled in the order that we needed to drive. Creating this fan plan takes some effort for longer races like marathon or a full-distance triathlon. This is really helpful for your fans, and if you get to see your fans along the way, it's really helpful for you also. I do have a marriage tip in this, though. Okay. Suppose you have a spouse who is not particularly into your endurance sport. You might not want to just hand them a fan plan and say, here, honey, do this. You may want to kind of communicate with them and say, hey, would it be helpful for you if I carved out a plan for you on race day? (laughs) Point well taken. (laughs) You've got to know who your fans are. (laughs) Well, they could be a fan and just rather sit in the bleachers at the finish line and or wait in the sip hotel water room. under an umbrella or something or watch a movie or so i started working on the fan plan for your race this upcoming weekend yes yeah i think it's going to work out yes. there's a little bit of complexity because i'm wanting to see several people athletes in the 10k the half and the full and maybe the 5k as well maybe so i've got my work cut out for me but I've got my plan. I'm going to review it over this upcoming week. Not that I have all that extra time that you may have, but we're going to have a fan plan. And just like your race plan, maybe it'll go exactly like you hope, but if not, we'll adapt and do the best we can. We'll find you at the finish eventually. (laughs) So we've talked about race planning. We've talked about 
pain plan. We talk about nutrition, periodization, cutbacks, building. There's a lot that goes into training. And as far as taper goes, it's unique for the individual. It depends on the event, the goals. There's a lot that goes into it. But the main thing to emphasize is that it's not a rest period. It's the same level of intensity with a lower volume just to help you soak up the fitness and prepare you for your big race. So as always, we like to incorporate a scripture within our podcast. And today's scripture is from Matthew 11, verse 29, where Jesus instructs us, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Hey, if you would like to be part of the conversation, look for us on Facebook at RYR Endurance Team. We'll let you into our private group, and you can be part of the conversation. If there are podcast topics you'd like Paula and myself to talk about, just let us know. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.